Witchy and Weird Podcast. Hi, Witchy and Weird. I am here today with Christina Rombi. Christina is a professional astrologer and musician based in Italy. Through her Hellenistic astrological framework and academic background in cultural anthropology and her extensive experience as a multi-instrumentalist and songwriter, she specializes in helping achingly sensitive artists and wildly ambitious creatives alchemize passion, pain, and doubt into self-actualization and success. Reimagining astrology as a tool to uncover creative gifts and nurture artistic potential is the overarching goal of her work. A solar lunar Libra and a splenic manifester in human design, she co-hosts Mystic Mixtape, a podcast that explores the intersection of music and astrology, and is currently working on her first solo album under the moniker of the Muses. Hello, Christina. Hey, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm really excited, too. So I have followed you for some time, so I know a bit about your story, but I'm really curious, like... How, how did we get from like, because I think you started with music a, a long time ago when you were younger, and now you're doing astrology, and now you're putting them together. I'd love to hear like that journey, that story. Yeah, of course. Um, so basically, astrology and music are the two things I'm obsessed with, pretty much. And I always say that music was my first love. But this doesn't mean that astrology is any less important um it took me a while and I don't know why it took me so long because like looking back it's kind of it it feels really natural for me right now to be doing this thing where I bring the two things together but it took me a really long time to figure out that was actually what I wanted to do I think it was a matter of giving myself permission to bring the two things together because for the longest time I feel that I wasn't really giving myself permission to be who I am Mm. and it was a long journey from you know just doing whatever I felt that people wanted me to do um, which reflected on like the way I was practicing astrology for a long time I would just write about transits and forecasts And what I was doing was basically dinging myself and just, you know, watering myself down because being painfully introverted, I think that I had a lot of hangups with the idea of being rejected and of people being like, you know, this is not what we want to see. This is not what we want you to do. And so for the longest time, I thought it was somehow expected of me to compartmentalize the two things. It wasn't until recently that something sort of clicked in me. And I was like, you know, uh, maybe this is not how I'm meant to do things. I think that in a way, discovering human design perhaps Mm. sort of helped me come to this realization because you know when you read about manifestors you read a lot of things about initiating and uh blazing a trail you're a manifestor too aren't you 
uh manifesting generator so oh okay different. yeah <laughs> i remembered there was something like starting with money <laughs> um but yeah uh right now i feel that i'm doing what i really want to do and again i don't know why for the longest time it didn't occur to me that i was meant to bring my two passions together professionally spiritually creatively but i can tell you that everything changed um when it finally hit me when i finally gave myself permission to be you know whole in my way of presenting myself to the people who read the stuff that I write, basically. Yeah. So yeah. That's awesome. And I feel like that's definitely, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like as a creative too, I think that that's a really common thing is like, especially in modern like society, there's this like capitalistic pull of like, monetize on your artistic abilities on your creative abilities use your creative skills to give people what they want instead of like you know just be creative like the reason why you're drawn to this the reason why you want to create is like something in your soul something in your heart something like how you view the world that you just need to share it and like people will love that people will vibe with that because I think there's it's like I feel like the latter part is like uh, the dream that people want to get to because we're taught like when you're famous, then you can do that. Then you can make whatever mm -hmm. you want because you'll have all the money and, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. But until then, you have to give people what they want. Like you can't you can't just like create for whatever is inside of you. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that capitalistic conditioning has such a hold on us, especially when it comes to convincing you that you should do this one thing because this is what's in demand. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because this is a system that is really based on like creating a demand for something and then, then sort of like engineering the need for that something, you sort of operate uh under the belief that if you do something that slightly deviates from the norm then you will be punished or ignored and you know there's this like ever-present fear of not being resourced of not knowing where your next meal is coming from. Like, I think that we all experience these fears under capitalism because it, it's very real. Like we live in a system where we have to make money in order to survive. So anything that touches on that point can be really, really persuasive in convincing you that, you know, maybe you should not really express your creative side. Maybe you should play it safe. Maybe you should do the one thing that that's in demand. And so I definitely think that capitalistic conditioning played a major role in that. I think that we're all on that journey in a way of deconditioning ourselves from the, the trappings of capitalism. And, uh, and it's difficult. Um, like, when I see people who are still struggling with creativity and expressing their creative side well into their 30s, it seems perfectly normal to me because it's so deeply ingrained in all culture. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, too, that you this like the conversation is going here and you brought up human design because I'm like low key obsessed with human design, too. Um, 
And I've had this theory that like people with open head centers, like this is even more of like an issue. So like on the like map thing, it's just like, if it's not colored in for the head part. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that's, that kind of amplifies it for people because if you have an open head center, number one, you're open-minded, which is awesome, but you have, you're open to outside influence and things Mm -hmm. can just be like coming in. And a lot of creative people are neurodivergent or like intuitive, like highly intuitive. And I think that when you're picking up on all this stuff all the time, and then you're kind of putting that into yourself and making it part of who you are, then it like confuses and crosses the wires. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't actually what I came here to do, what I'm wanting to do. Let me take a step back. And I've had that so many times. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally relate. And I'm also glad that you brought this up, you know, the conditioning, the the picking up on a lot of different things from all directions, because I think that once you deepen, um, in the knowledge of who you are as an artist, art becomes a formidable exercise in self-trust. Mm. And, and so you come to a point where your creative practice can really enhance your spiritual practice and make you more self-aware, more empowered in trusting your intuition and even, you know, amplify your intuition. I think that creativity has so much to do with intuition. I think that creativity is just another name for intuition, really. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I feel like as a creative, like I went to like art school and wow and stuff like, um, I think I learned after when I started to become psychic that you're... I think people don't see create, they see it only like if you're like an artist, like if you paint or something, you know, like, and I started to see that that is one facet of how intuition comes through. Like people are like, oh, I just saw this and I need to create it, you know, like, oh, I just heard this sound and I needed to like record it or something, you know, and I feel like that is like the connection with the divine and like a lot of creativity is like, I'm just tapping into something and I'm like, okay, I'm the vessel to like create this. Yes, absolutely. And, And I think that, you know, people have a very limited view of what an artist is supposed to be like this thing that people say you know you're only an artist if you're getting paid for that well first of all (laughs) that too is some major capitalistic shit that was drilled into your head and that's absolutely not true Um, if you're involved with coming up with new ideas you're a creative like I it it really makes no sense to me (laughs) um, to like you know gatekeep artistry from people and be like you know there's this box and if you don't fit into this box like creative creativity is like the opposite of that it's not about boxes it's not about labels it's not about rules and and also I really resonate with what you said about connecting with the divine through the creative process because that is 100% how I experience it. Hmm. Um, I'm really talkative tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I keep going on tangents. Uh, But yeah, that's because I'm really fucking excited. So yeah. (laughs) Um, 
like this is really how I experience being creative because um, when you're creating something, when you're, in my case, writing a song, you're not engaging the so-called logical hemisphere of your brain. I think that theory has been debunked, but whatever, I'm referencing it because everybody knows what I'm talking about if I say left brain, right brain. Right. And when you're creating, when you're creating something, you're really just proceeding tentatively and you're really just going with your gut. Like it's not a, it's not an intellectual process. You're like very much in the dark and like proceeding in this very tentative way. And at least this is how I experience it. And to me, that's basically your intuition guiding you and like bridging this gap between your subjective reality, your subjective perception and something that transcends it entirely. And, 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 and making art is really an intuitive process because you don't really know what you're doing in a way. I mean, one could perhaps argue if you're doing something like that, it's because it's because you've learned how to do that in a way. Maybe somebody taught you, maybe you've studied music theory. Mm, and that can be true to some extent, but I think that if you're doing it right, you have no fucking clue what you're doing up to some point. <laughs> you're basically winging it in a way, but not in a chaotic sense, but rather in a sense of, you know, going with what feels right. And what feels right is not necessarily what somebody wrote in a book or taught you in, in a class. And I know that you talk about trauma a lot on Witching Weird. And I also wanted to touch upon that because I think that creating can be such a potent medicine. If you're somebody who um, has a background that involves trauma and traumatic events, because when you, when you create and when you engage with this process in this very intuitive way, um, it can be really empowering, especially if you're someone who has been gaslit and manipulated. Um, because, you know, um, it really teaches you how to rebuild trust with yourself. And this is definitely something that I benefited from immensely because I also come from that kind of background, you know, being gaslit, being silenced, being, you know, having your own creative expression trained out of you and so songwriting to me is really a practice of trusting myself and prioritizing my feelings and prioritizing what feels good to me and this this is really going to be extremely fucking healing yeah. if you're someone who lives with trauma like I, I really want to encourage everyone no matter you know, whether or not you identify as an artist, maybe you're someone who thinks, oh, I could never do that. I'm not good enough. Like, it doesn't matter. Just do that. It's going to be so extremely healing. Like, we need as survivors to really, we deserve to trust ourselves is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So many good things that you brought up. So speaking on trauma, like I have been kind of maybe in a similar process as you. So I, you know, I create products and I view that as like a form of art and I create like graphics, but I made it a point to 
like have a personal art practice because of the capitalist ideals, like every art thing I made, I was like, oh, I need to sell this one. Mm -hmm. So in my personal art practice, I've been challenging myself to unlearn some of that stuff from my trauma. Like I grew up with, my mom was like very, she's like, her chart is like half Virgo. So it was like very like, um, it needs to be perfect the first time you do it. You know, like Mm. I was the oldest child. If I got a B, my mom was like, I'm disappointed in you type of thing. So I grew up with that kind of conditioning and I would stop, it would stop me from creating art because I would be like, well, I can't do it perfectly. How I can't like fathom the way to do it perfectly yet. You know, I, I can't spend all this time like messing it up, starting over and like then finally creating it. And I knew that I had the skills because I went to art school. So I like learned how to do like charcoal and like all that stuff. (laughs) Like, so now I've been, yeah, using that like personal art practice and my pieces, I'll have my idea, but I've been challenging myself to like, not like mark it all up and block it all out first and just like do Mm -hmm. it half-assed and like, just go in. And and that's a big thing that I hear intuitively is like, just do it. Don't figure out, don't have that plan. Just put the stuff and trust yourself. Cause I feel like, even in that process, a lot of us, we learn to like not love art because we're treating it like a machine type thing. And we're like, oh, you have to put the paint here and then here. And I'm like, like I'm challenging. I'm like, just do the process, like just let it flow through you. So I I totally get what you're saying with like using art to help you trust yourself, to unlearn certain traumas, to like kind of like a safe space ish to explore that stuff right yeah absolutely absolutely yeah safe space I think that's really the right combination of words because it it really is a playground I think that you really have to treat it like such and you know when you're playing it doesn't have to be perfect you're supposed to enjoy it because if you don't you're not playing you're Mm -hmm. I don't even know what you're like, if, if, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's like a subtle form of punishment in a way. So yeah, I mean, it, it really hits home when you when you talk about your experience with unlearning perfectionism. Um, I absolutely think that you making products and creating products and, you know, candles and potions, it, it is a form of art because you're like pouring you know, yourself and your worldview and your feelings and your intention into it. But also, it can be really easy to commodify our own creations Mm. and just, you know, be plugged into that mindset where, you know, it has to be perfect because if it's not perfect, it's going to haunt me forever and people are not going to enjoy it and they are going to reject it. And, and it's a real issue, um, not to sound like a broken record, but it really is capitalism at work <laughs> in every area of our life, just pushing us to commodify ourselves and the things that we create in our very own creative process. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's important to like reclaim our right to play and our right to pleasure because that is that is really where your best art comes from. Even if it's like, you have to be willing to entertain the possibility that your art might be bad. It, yeah. It's not, yeah, <laughs> it's not bad. It, it like, I, I don't believe there's such thing as 
bad art, but you have to be open to the possibility because, you know, you have to sort of um, allow yourself to not be limited by that possibility. So as soon as you acknowledge it, you know, this might suck, but I'm doing it anyway. You know, you really drop into the process and you really allow yourself to have fun regardless of the outcome. And that's where the good stuff comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely played around like with the perfectionism and the bad art thing, especially like having that training at school, knowing like Mm -hmm. the right way to do things, how to make it look realistic and stuff. Like, I think I, I kind of like for certain things, I'm like, I'm going to make bad art. Like I'm going to make bad graphic design because like, that's what wants to come out of me is something that's like jarring or something that's, you know, like, so I think I love that. Like the unlearning perfectionism, like I don't even know, maybe it's something in my chart, but like, even as a kid, we would get like projects for school and I would immediately be like, I want to make like an art poster board thing out of it. And I would spend like four hours and I'm like an 11 year old kid. And I would spend like, my mom's like, you need to go to bed. Like, it's fine. And I'm like crying, having a meltdown. Like, no, it's not how I saw it in my head. Like I can't (laughs) do it. Like, so I, I totally get the, like, I've been unlearning the perfectionism, like since day one. Yeah. That, that is definitely a lifelong learning curve sometimes. And, and, you know, it's normal to, to fall back on those patterns and then, you know, make progress and then fall back onto that it's really a lifelong learning curve and and I think that you are in a unique position that way because you have this kind of background you have this kind of training and you're in a position where you can really break the rules knowing that you are breaking them and that is such a creative incredibly generative space to be Mm -hmm. so that's really cool actually (laughs) (laughs) So I want to ask you, like, how does astrology fold into this? Like, maybe, um, maybe like creative people are listening and they're like, okay, so how do I use my astrology chart or what placements or things could I look to? Or you're the expert. I'm like just picking words. I'm like, I don't know what (laughs) what the term is. I love this question. (laughs) So I'm going to preface my answer with a long ass consideration of how I use astrology. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So basically, (laughs) basically, (laughs) I, I think of astrology as both a symbolic language and a divination system, which Mm -hmm. is I mean, of course, any divination system requires a symbolic language. So the two things vastly overlap. And, you know, when you're looking at somebody's chart, you're really looking at an energetical ecosystem of sorts. Mm. And, you know, it's comprehensive. It's not just a map of a person's psyche, even though there is a large element of that. It's not just a representation of the objective circumstances, the objective reality. It's really an intersection of all of these things. And so you can really see the person's relationship with their own intuition in a chart. And and I'm bringing up intuition again, because I believe that this is such a crucial part of like um, exploring our creative side. 
you can see, you know, the obstacles that stand in the way of this person tapping into their own intuition and their own creative side. You can explore the topic of creativity and get an idea of what the most aligned creative outlet could be for this person. And, and you can really use astrology as a very effective tool to help someone tap into their inner creative talents in a way that does not discard their own intuition, but supports and empowers it. So there are different ways to do this. The method that I personally use, um, well, there's a lot of methods. It's really just experimental. I, I feel that I'm still like experimenting with this idea of using astrology to help people tap into their creative side. And so I find that I'm constantly coming up with new things like it's a creative practice in itself because <laughs> I'm like pushing constantly pushing myself to reimagine astrology in a way that w works for what I'm trying to do so for instance I sort of associate every planet with a constellation of themes that people might explore in their creative practice and so obviously you know we all have different planets that have different uh, levels of importance in our chart like you know for for instance um, I'm a cancer rising and I'm ruled by the moon and the moon is angular in my chart so obviously the moon is going to be um, important in my nativity and so based on what planet is more prominent in your nativity you will have a more felt experience of that planet and this can translate in feeling especially drawn to what that planet represents and feeling the pull towards exploring that constellation of themes in your art. Um, this is one way I do this. For instance, the moon in ancient astrology rules the body and consumption. And so um, the moon is very carnal, I think. I think that most people obsess over the idea of the moon as feminine, but I think that the moon is really just the genderless urges of the body if that makes sense yeah. like yeah the urge to consume the urge to to you know merge with another human being all of these things and so I write a lot about these things and themes of like embodiment I use a lot of metaphors that are really just borrowed from the body and the experience of having a body as a human being um so this is an example um we also have you know planets like mars which <laughs> um it, it's not a coincidence that i'm naming all the planets that are especially um dominant in my chart um mars is at the top of my chart in its own sign so of course it comes through pretty strongly um uh, whatever i'm doing versus somewhere in there and you know Mars is about challenges it's about feeling empowered whenever you take on a challenge whenever you're fighting for something that means something to you it's about like finding something that you would die for and committing to living and fighting for it mm. so for instance if you're an Aries dominant person 
Um, if you have an Aries sun, Aries rising, Aries moon, if Mars is angular, domiciled in your chart, if, it's, if it belongs to your sect, then you might feel, you know, invigorated by writing or making art that incorporates this element of strife, of, you know, primal urge to take on a challenge, to fight, to, um, to go to war for the things that you love. Um, and then also you have all of these different different parts of your nativity that can mean different things. Um, I recently posted a graphic on my Instagram account where I sort of reimagined the, the 12 houses of the chart from a creative lens. Mm. So for instance, the 12th house would be all the creative work that you do behind the scenes, mm. such as, you know, maybe when you're crafting your candles, and no one is watching unless you yourself are filming content for social media. That's a 12th house activity. Mm. Um, or like when you're mixing a record, that is some something like people do not get to hear how it sounds like when you're mixing because it probably sounds like shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that is, you know, all the stuff that you do in your creative process that is not for other, pe other people, it's just between you and the creation itself, that's 12th house shit. And, or, you know, um, the eighth house, I imagined it as a place where you experience being supported by your community, such as, you know, people um, starting a crowdfunding campaign for their tarot deck, because the eighth house is the house of pooled resources. Um, Kickstarter is, that's eighth house stuff. Or, um, you know, the ninth house would be touring, whether you're a, in a band or a writer who actually, you know, talks about their book in, in various um, bookstores across the country and, and all of that. So you can really imagine the whole chart as a blueprint for your creative process and your involvement with the arts. And then, of course, we have houses that are more conventionally associated with creativity, such as the fifth house, which tends to be my starting point when I'm working with someone. I usually like that. That's where I go first to um, to determine like what are the ways this person finds it natural to engage with the creative process. What feels more um, more natural, more engaging to them? What is the jump of point? Hmm. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think that I love seeing like the newer, newer, I'm sure other people have done this in other times of the world, but like seeing like astrology be used for something else, like it, like you said, it's more of like a divination system. I can totally see that when you're like, I'm reimagining the houses and what they mean for you in your creative process specifically. Um, I feel like that can be like immensely helpful. <laughs> I see how it can be immensely helpful for people because like we were talking about all those things like capitalistic, like pressure, programming, trauma. And if you can look at your chart and say like, you know, maybe this is just the way that you are. This is part of like part of your creative process is like towards the end, you're just going to feel like I hate everything. And I like, like, just don't blame yourself for that. You know, like, I think that there's so many possibilities for what you can find in the chart 
And the, the one thing that stuck out to me when you were talking about the 12th house, I feel like because of social media and like us monetizing that 12th house becomes smaller. I, it's so funny. Like I, I struggle so much with this. Like I don't want to film my process. I don't want to do that. Like that is such a, that's why on my products page, I don't post that often. Cause like Mm-mm. it is a personal process. I'm especially my products. Like I'm picking the plants from nature. I'm having relationship with them. I'm like speaking to them. I'm turning them into things. Like I'm using my energy and like sometimes music I'll like sing while I'm doing it. You know, I'm creating, it's like, I don't want to stop and like record that. And then like, it's too, like, I just want to be like, here's what I made you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. You're so right. Um, capitalism is definitely colonizing the hidden houses of the chart, so to speak. And and you're right, because we need the 12th house. Like we need to be in that contained um, secluded space where we can, you know, we can meet the sacred halfway and we can also give ourselves permission to just fuck up because that too happens and you do not necessarily want to turn it into a spectacle for the whole world to see because it can be a really vulnerable moment so yeah absolutely I think that it's kind of weird how social media culture is pushing creatives to um sort of you know well of course it's turning us into content creators and that to a certain extent I can embrace, but it's really uncomfortable how you're expected to just like expose the parts of the creative process that are supposed to remain hidden because there's a reason why they are hidden. And there's this weird voyeurism on social media where you're supposed to bear everything because we are told that vulnerability gets us attention that it sells that it creates engagement and I do not necessarily agree with that I think that the best thing would be like finding the sweet spot between what you are comfortable with sharing and what people want to see I think that if you if you work with your 10th house for example with your 10th house ruler you can really you know educate people on how you want to be perceived and what is off limits like where are your boundaries this is what I'm going to show you and this is what I'm going to keep for myself so yeah I absolutely agree with everything you said we have to keep some things hidden (laughs) yeah yeah it's so wild like I feel even the act of like putting the camera on it ruins like the intimacy between me and what I'm creating because I'm aware that people are going to look at it yeah it's just I don't know I just think of like when it it takes away I think that well for me and how I view and probably like when you look at my chart it's like the 12th house is like a big deal but like Mm. um, like for me I feel like that is where the magic is made is in that like mysterious like occult connection stuff and so like, I just think of the example of like, um, you know, you love your grandma's cooking because there's just something that she does. Like, there's just something that's different. And for me, I feel like it's like the energy, the love, the intention that's being put into it. And that's what makes it taste better. 
And like, when you try and commodify that, it's not the same, or you try and replicate that, it's not the same. I feel like that's kind of like the representation of that mystery that 12 was like, I can't ever make it the same as her because she's doing something, she's putting something into it that it comes from her and I don't have that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like putting that on display sort of dulls it down and definitely tarnishes like, you know, the sacredness, as you said, like the love you pour into it, the intimacy that you have with your own creation. And so, you know, <laughs> you said that the 12th house in your chart is kind of a big deal. So that sort of makes sense to yeah. me. <laughs> um, I do have my Jupiter in my 12th house. And I'm generally kind of a very private person because most of my personal planets are in my fourth house. So I'm really introverted. And I don't do well when I'm feeling like pressured to showcase the things that I'm doing, even though I have been experimenting with that, because there is also such thing as being too introverted and, you know, feeling really bad, really like feeling a sense of shame in sharing your creations. So sometimes it can be medicinal to give yourself permission to show more of your process. And this is something that I've been experimenting with. I don't do that often, but sometimes I do that on purpose, like filming myself when I'm like playing a cover of a song that I like, and maybe my voice sounds like shit that day and I'm posting it anyway, because sometimes you need to get over yourself yeah. and realize that even if your creation is flawed even if you're fucking up that's not the end of the word you are going to live <laughs> people are not going to hate you so sometimes it can be medicinal sometimes it can be something that you actually need it all depends uh, you know as is the case with a lot of things so what works for you in that moment what feels right for you in that moment again how can you trust your intuition more what is your gut feeling telling you what feels what feels right <laughs> yeah and I'm curious too I'd want to know you talk about like creativity and intuition like you view them as the same thing so yeah. like do you incorporate like I know like for me I'm like coming from like the psychic medium like there's this five senses you know like that type of thing I'm declares yeah exactly like do you incorporate that like how do you approach those oh, I love this question because I love talking about this <laughs> I love this topic um I'm really glad that you asked me um and, and I love you know I love talking about the Claire's too I don't know much like I think that you were the first person I came across who actually um talked about the Claire's in a way that made sense to me mm. um I wasn't really aware that there were more modalities like more ways one could experience knowing without really knowing mm. and so when I when I was reading your posts, I was like, okay, so clairsentience is what makes the most sense to me because I don't, I mean, sometimes I, I hear things, but it's very, it doesn't happen that often. Um, what, what, it's, what is most common for me is maybe because I'm a splenic manifester. So um, I'm supposed to really just um, rely on my body and on what feels instinctually 
right but what I experience is I just know like I have this thing in my head that is like this you have to do this <laughs> this is gonna happen you have to prepare for this and so yeah I mean I think that your writings and you talking about the Claire's really helped clarifying a lot of things for me and and I think that the songwriting process, the way I experience it is very much a form of clairsentience because I'm not somebody who sits their ass down every day or writes morning pages. Mm -hmm. I'm not that kind of person. Uh, routines do not really do it for me. I don't really believe you need a creative routine in order to be more creative. Maybe some people do, yeah, but it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. What works for me personally is maybe I'm, you know, minding my business, eating pasta, whatever. <laughs> and I hear a melody in my head, like literally out of fucking nowhere. Or maybe I'm taking a walk and I, you know, the sun hits the leaves in a certain way. And it's, you know, I'm feeling some kind of way about it. Mm. And, and from that, comes the urge to write something about it or better yet to write something that sort of translates those feelings or the things that I hear in my head into sound mm. so I believe that you know it, it, it's definitely the way I see it it definitely has to do with clairsentience and just knowing things because again I, I, I haven't really studied music theory I don't know shit about it uh, what I do is simply um, going with what feels right in that moment and um, just, you know, following those hunches. It's, again, it's very much not a logical process. It's completely intuitive. And it has a lot in common with those instances where you hear things in your head and, and maybe the person whose voice you're hearing actually says those things like mm. the next week or th those moments where you sort of know that something is going to happen. You have this feeling in your body telling you, you know, this thing is going to happen. You have to get ready. It, it's the same process. I, I either hear literal melodies in my head um one of the songs that i've been working on i actually heard it in a dream and then the, the next day i tried to recreate it from memory and i mm. think this is very common i've heard multiple people talking about like hearing songs in a dream and then recreating them from memory the next day um and also a lot of the things that i write about um like i'm working on this record and the lyrics are 80% me just writing about these recurring dreams that I've been having. Mm. So it's really about the dream word and these encounters with people in the dream word and messages coming through mm. from that place. So I would absolutely say that the two things for me, three things, astrology, spirituality, and music really feed into one another. It's, it's like a closed loop. Yeah, I like that the way that you talked about. I think that it's such an interesting, like, reversal of kind of what most people think, where it's like for intuitive abilities, for like the Claire's, it's like 
how am I experiencing it in my body? Like, what am I hearing? What am I seeing, feeling, et cetera? And I like that you talked about, you kind of let your vessel be that. And like the environment also reflects that. Like you were saying, like, you know, if the leaves in the sun make me feel a certain way, I recreate that. And I think that that's really cool. And part of the, I see like how that links the intuitive with the creative process, right? Because like, I think for like art and the creative process, it's like half how you're feeling from the inside out and half like how the outside is making you feel, right? And so I love that you're like, I see both, like this could still be an intuitive message, this thing on the outside of me and how I'm yeah. reacting to it. I really like that. Yeah. And you, you do have cancer placement. Oh, you? I'm cancer son. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Um, I think that it's really important to um, keep in mind that it's not a one-way process and that like our environment is constantly speaking to us. And the reason why I mentioned the sign of cancer, which is my rising sign, is that cancer and the moon are also connected with the land. And so there's this important element. If you have cancer placements, um, I think that it can be very healing. Well, it's something that we all should embrace, really, because our disconnection from the land is causing uh, an enormous deal of damage. But I think that people with cancer placements are perhaps more attuned with their surroundings this way, with the land. Um, You mentioned picking herbs. Um, for you know the things that you create, and and I think that's a very cancer thing. I think that if you have cancer placements in your chart, you're probably one of those people who can model that connection between um, human and non-human beings, between human and the environment. And it, I think that it's something that you should explore in your creative practice too, because it's probably already at play. Maybe you haven't noticed but it's definitely going to play a major role. Like I I think that us people with cancer placements are already sort of plugged into that kind of um, loop, um, human environmental loop, and it does impact us more than we know, more than we are aware of. That's interesting. Yeah, I can totally see that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I... I feel like only when I started doing like foraging and stuff, I've now, that has helped me, like you said, like really feel the connection with the land more so, but like, yeah, I'm just thinking now, like even as a kid, whenever I would draw, I would just only draw like roses or something. Like I was just obsessed with drawing Mm. like flowers and stuff like that. Like I just thought that's the only forms that I want to draw is nature. (laughs) Yeah. And it's super cool because maybe that's like your signature. Like if you find yourself going back to that theme time and again, like maybe that is like your signature, your thing, you know, your your style. I know that you would like to incorporate a lot of different elements. Like there's a distinct horror movie type of yeah. flavor to the graphics that you make for Witching Weird and for your personal biz. Um, but I think, that too is cool because I personally love, you know, I wouldn't say contrast because it gives the idea of things that are removed from one another, but like you can definitely have your own thing where you have all of these elements and you make them work together. Like I I love flowers too. I'm 
like absolutely like every time I see a flower I have to like stop and just admire it yeah. <laughs> I can relate but being very Martian I also love swords and <laughs> shit like that so you know you can't have your own thing you can have your own thing where you bring different things together but together those things represent you uh, lately I'm really enjoying making graphics that combine both things like flowers roses and and swords and people would normally think you know those things have shit to do with one another but I'm like they make perfect sense because it's like the representation of you know having a personality that is both really soft yeah. and tender and also you know reactive in a way so yeah you can create your own aesthetic you can create your own style by combining the things that you feel really drawn to and that you cannot help drawing or painting or writing about yeah 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 I feel like I have like a few different things like over time and in the different spots of like in my personal it's been like inner child stuff like what would my inner child like I've been painting this whole like I painted like three different Jurassic Park <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm gonna paint dinosaurs like yeah so it's really interesting um I wanted to ask you maybe like if you can I know sometimes it's hard to recall like on the spot but like do you have like a favorite like musing or thing that has come through? Cause I know you're like, a lot of this is like an experiment, like, and you're working with clients, like a favorite like placement that you've seen or like some like earth shattering, like tidbit that you're like, oh, okay. So people who have this placement, like I see that, you know? Wow. Yeah. I love this question. I think that I was pleasantly surprised to notice that a lot of the people that I work with have Saturn, placed in houses or signs or well houses <laughs> um yeah in, in houses that play a crucial role in their chart and in their creative process as well i see a lot of charts that have the their fifth house ruled by saturn mm. um there's a whole lot of saturn of capricorn of aquarius using traditional rulerships um like i do in in the charts of the people i work with and i wasn't really expecting that because i think that i was really used to thinking about art as this venusian neptunian kind of thing but it was really eye-opening to me because it made me realize that making art requires a lot of discipline mm. a lot of dedication a lot of you know persisting and you know yeah. a lot of willingness to keep doing the thing even when no one is clapping mm. because if you give up because no one is paying attention to what you're doing you might not even start because no one people are probably not going to pay attention for a long time you know it might take a while for you to reap you know the recognition that you are that that you yearn for like it, it truly requires a lot of 
diligence and dedication and willingness to see projects to their end and also willingness to keep going because it's something that you need to do it's not necessarily something that you do because you want to be recognized even though I have nothing against ambition I, I am ambitious myself <laughs> I love it when people have goals and are like I want to be recognized for what I'm doing but the truth is it might not happen for a long time yeah and so you have to keep going because if you don't, you are going to regret it and you're going to feel um, unfulfilled with your life because you are not actively doing what makes you feel good about your life. So this thing of finding out that Saturn is really prominent in the charts of people who create things. At first I was like, this is weird. But then I was like, I get it. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I feel like it could also even mean like the creative process is part of like their structure. Like they need that yeah. like in their life all the time. Absolutely. There's most definitely a stage where it's all like intuition and just channeling these things and playing with these ideas and just, you know, toying with them and see where they lead you. But at some point you really have to um, embrace a more structured mo and just do things in a certain way and music is the perfect example because you know there's a time for intuition and for playing with what your mind your soul your intuition are suggesting with the things that want to move through you but at some point you want that thing to sound good so you have to <laughs> sit down and you have to record things and you have to practice a lot because if you don't it's probably not going to sound that good. It's probably not going to sound as good as you intended it to sound. And then you have to mix the song or the album. And that takes hours, days, weeks, months. <laughs> it's going to be a really time consuming process. It's a lengthy process. It's fastidious. Like you have to go over the same things over and over again, the same two seconds, the same, you know, the same track, the same word in you know in the vocal line and that's Saturn and it's a necessary step of the process because you know you have this that kernel that is really something that you assembled intuitively but you have to give it you know a structure because it has to sound good like you ideally you want it to sound good yeah. <laughs> so at some point that too has to come into play and, you know, 99% of times you are not going to be satisfied with the final result. <laughs> but you have to go through that step anyway, because it's crucial. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, that was taking me back. So for my thesis for my bachelor's, I made a mini documentary. Um, wow. So I like interviewed, recorded, and then I cut everything together, did the audio and like, and like, I procrastinate so much. I changed my thesis, like in my final year, like so many times. So I only have like a week to cut together. Oh my God. It was like 15 <laughs> minutes, but still it was so much like a recording that I took with the interviews and I had to be like, okay, this one is relevant. Like, let me cut it here. Let me put this. It was, oh, so I can't imagine like music where it's like, I have full control over every single, you know, it's like the interview, it's like, they're speaking. I just need to make sure it sounds mm -hmm. decent. Right. Like. But to what you're talking about to obsess, I don't like how I said that one word. Like, oh my goodness. But yeah. 
yeah exactly i mean it's it's definitely this the same process yeah um like the same kind of a process of like going through something and ensuring that everything sounds good and yeah i mean when when you're making music you have you typically have a lot of tracks and everything has to sound absolutely perfect and especially you know those tracks that are forward in the mix like the voice because you know if you fuck up on bass i mean it's it's not ideal, but bass is normally, and unfortunately, I would say burn in the mix. So it's most like the mistake is more likely to fly below people's radar, but the voice is like very audible. So if there's something, if there's like a single vowel that doesn't quite sound good, people yeah. are going to hear that. And then you can choose to edit it to death, or you can choose to you know, um, be creative about it and be like, you know, this conveys a particular emotion, so I'm going to keep it the way it is. But again, there has to be a decision. There has to be, you know, um, purposefulness. Um, it's still Saturn. Like I'm doing this, I'm choosing to keep things this way because I'm making a decision, I'm being deliberate about it. And I'm still considering like the overall um, ecosystem of the song <laughs> so yeah but it's the same thing it's definitely the same process yeah as you recounted yeah and I I love that like you're talking about like making the decision I think when we were talking about like trauma healing and stuff like that mm -hmm. is so empowering to to tell yourself like I get to choose when the this thing yeah. is done I get to choose like what this looks like and and I'm not thinking about other people and their influence on me. And that also goes with perfectionism, right? Like, no, I feel like it's done inside of me because I'm, I'm done doing it, you know, or I'm not going to look at this because I'm getting so frustrated. I'll put it away for like a month and then I'll come back later, um, which is what I do a lot. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. <laughs> Sometimes you just, you know, you're just like, no. <laughs> yeah, like I can't like I'm I know I'm getting too in like specific to honing in on this I'm gonna put it away and look at it with fresh eyes later like I absolutely that's so important like sometimes that's the only way you can truly progress because if you don't you just end up obsessing over the same thing and maybe it sounds fine I I find that our senses like our perception of things sort of changes when we are like working on on one thing and we are like constantly revisiting the same thing the same track the same visual element like it's like when you look at your selfies and at first they look kind of good but then at some point you start to see things that yeah. like that <laughs> yeah or even the opposite like you think like oh I was so this I was so that and then when you get older and you look back and you're like I looked good like what was I that? was fine yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so this, this conversation has been like really, really nourishing. Um, yeah. Thank you for being here. I love having, you for having guests. I know it's probably late by you. Um, where can we find you on the internet? How can people work with you? Thank you so much for asking. Um, I just want to say one more time that I'm so extremely grateful to be here. And I'm glad that my first podcast appearance ever was witch and weird <laughs> um really happy about that um 
as for how and where can people find me, I'm on Instagram at Zodiac Poetry Astrology. No underscores, no nothing, just Zodiac Poetry Astrology. I recently made a Twitter account. Um, I mostly use it to like tweet random things and then screenshot them and put them on Instagram. So it's nothing, you know, you know, not, nothing too adventurous, nothing too interesting, but I'm there too. Um, I have a website called zodiacpoetryastrology.com. It's a bit up in the air at the moment. I think I might have to hire someone to redo my design because it pretty much sucks right now. WordPress is a, a logistical nightmare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's there, it exists. And there's a blog. I have actually quite a few blog posts on there i need to like write some new stuff for my website but still you can pretty much go there and visit the blog and just read <laughs> um the posts that are already there um and then yeah um as for how can people work with me currently i have some available slots for one-on-one -on -one, um astro coaching for creatives um, it's a six week package and basically I'm very excited about it because I really need to know that I'm making an impact and working one-on-one -on -one with somebody for an extended period of time is basically the easiest way to ensure that happens. I'm not saying that you cannot make an impact in, you know, group programs or whatever, but I'm a Libra. I have a lot of Libra placements, so I really love like working one-on-one -on -one with people. Um, you can also purchase one of my classes. I have a couple of those um, on sale right now. Um, it's just two of them, but I plan to add more. I usually do donation-based classes and then I put them um, on sale. Um, and sometimes I also open slots for single sessions or written reports. So you can follow me on social media or subscribe to my newsletter if you want to be kept in the loop and receive all of these updates about what is available and what is not. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was absolutely great. Yeah. So until next time, everyone, goodbye. Goodbye. If you love Witchy and Weird podcasts, support us by donating monthly for as little as 99 cents at anchor.fm slash witchyandweird slash support. You can cancel at any time and 100% of the proceeds go directly to the pod. Or if you don't want to commit to a monthly donation, buy Amanda a coffee at ko-fi.com slash witchyandweird to help fuel them while they record, edit, create, and upload content for the podcast. And if you're feeling extra generous, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tell your witchy and weird friends about us too. Bye!